As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right, all right, all right, guys. Welcome back to Informed Consent. Before we jump into today's episode, a quick word from our sponsor, DefiniPoint. If you all are looking for rating scales or assessments to do, uh, to diagnose and to track progress for ADHDers, look no further than DefiniPoint. We interviewed its president and CEO, Dr. Sam English, uh, during our ADHD month. Uh, in July. Uh, so if you haven't given that episode a listen to, head back there and learn all about DefiniPoint. Uh, but in case you don't have that time and you need this resource yesterday, uh, DefiniPoint makes it easy to conduct best practice ADHD evaluations by enabling clinicians to gather more data in less time with less hassle. It is a system that I use with all of my ADHD clients and it has made uh, making diagnoses and tracking progress um, for my ADHDers 100% easier. Um, I will never use anything else. Um, I, don't, I severely doubt they will ever come out with anything better than this system. Um, I get all of the assessments back from any collateral contacts that I um, assign or need, so mom, dad, uh, teacher, whoever, um, within a week. So I send it out uh, when I meet with a client and I have all the uh, information back a week later. Um, and I don't lose any time. Uh, there's no question about a diagnosis or progress, and we can get straight to work. Um, so if you guys want to try DefiniPoint uh, and get 30 days free, head over to DefiniPoint.com. When you uh, sign up, uh, use the coupon code INFORMEDCONSENT and get a free 30-day trial on us. That is DefiniPoint.com, coupon code INFORMEDCONSENT. All right, guys, that is it from me. And now on to the episode. Hello, hello. You're listening to Informed Consent, the only podcast on the internet that speaks directly to those mental health professionals that are in the trenches. Whether you are a social worker, a counselor, or a clinician with another mental health degree, this show is for you. I'm Gabriel, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Heather. Hello, and today we have a special um, episode. We are talking with Dr. Tara Mitchell about parent-child interaction therapy. Tara, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, Hi, my name is Tara Mitchell, and I'm a clinical psychologist at Carillion Clinic uh, Children's Hospital, and I've been here for about seven years. Yeah, so I went to uh, undergrad at UC San Diego and then graduate school at Alliant International University in Los Angeles, and then my family relocated here. Cool. Thanks for being with us today. 
Absolutely. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about um, your journey in finding the profession of psychology and then in um, parent-child interaction therapy. Okay. Well, I'm sure it's a standard answer. I was thinking about this as most psychologists or clinicians would say is that we went into this wanting to make a difference Mm -hmm. and that maybe somebody impacted our world. And so we kind of wanted to give back and pretty much have the same story. And, um, I was working at a nonprofit organization out in California and running an early childhood program, and we ran across um, PCIT, which is Parent-Child Interaction Therapy. Um, it was an evidence-based approach. It was very hands-on with the caregivers, so we liked that, and so we went ahead and moved forward with the, um, the training and training our clinicians, and um, I've seen the effectiveness of it for, gosh, the last nine years. Cool. So tell us a little bit about PCIT. Um, well, it's like I said, it's an evidence-based treatment approach. Um, it came out of the University of Florida by Dr. Sheila Iberg. It was originally developed for children that ha- had oppositional defiant disorder, but since then there's been lots of research of using it with ADHD, high-functioning autism, um, even if it's not quite um, ODD, but more of like adjustment disorders with some behavioral problems. Um, I see that it can also help with attachment, especially the first phase of PCIT. So, I mean, do you want to know a little bit about like how it's set up? Or? Yeah, please. Okay. So, um, first you obviously have to identify, you know, a good family uh, that is willing to come weekly. Um Ideally, you do it in an office setting, but they also there's also providers that do do it in home. Um, it's a little different because you don't have all the technology. Mm-hmm. But you're in a separate room. You observe through a one-way mirror or a video camera, and you actually coach the parents on the specific skills. So the first stage of uh, PCIT is called CDI, so it's child-directed. And it's essentially some basic um, play therapy skills that you're teaching to the parents. And once the parents get to mastery on those skills, then you move to the next phase. So that's another reason why I really like it because it's not, you know, you do this for just four sessions and then you move on. Mm -hmm. Um, So we actually observe for five minutes and code and watch the family or the parent and child interact and see how they're doing on those skills. And then you move to the second phase, which is more PDI, and PDI is the parent directed. So that's more about listening and compliance. to focus a little more on the behavior. So the first part is really gonna help um, enhance that relationship, so maybe the child wants to listen, and then the second phase is more focused on compliance and listening. Yeah, and you showed us your setup here. You have it, it's like three rooms set up, or two rooms set up, mm-hmm. um, so that you have the child in one room, you have a two-way mirror, and then you have microphone technology, the bug in the air, all that. That's really, that's the way you coach parents. Right, and it's especially nice for training if you can record it all. You can even show parents kind of how they've progressed with their child from the beginning to the end, but then it's also a great training tool. Um, Or um, I do consultation with a psychologist at um, Milligan in Tennessee, and so if I had a really tough session, I could even show him that kind of snippet and say, hey, is there something you would have done different? Um, So it's kind of nice to have that collaboration with other professionals. Um, so it is a little ch- challenging in the essence, and I think that can be the one barrier for some organizations is kind of having that set up and the technology. So there is a little bit of an initial cost, 
but you can also be really creative. You can use cell phones, Bluetooth. Um, you know, when I first came to Krillian, of course, I didn't have this setup, so I would um, even coach the parent like by sitting next to the parent. So again, it's not ideal, and that might be a little bit easier to do with a younger child versus an older child. Um, but it is it is doable. So. so I'm curious about what your interaction with the parent looks like um, when you said you used it to show the parent their progress or to talk about skills training. Do you meet with parents individually, separately from the child from from the actual coaching of them with their child as well? Um, typically not. Okay. Um, we you know we have the intake where we're gathering all the information um, and figuring out you know is is this going to be a good fit or not. And then, um, you know, in that session, we might spend some time, you know, if the child can wait in the waiting room and, like, maybe gather, gather some, you know, information that we need to gather. But once we're in treatment, um, you know, we really try to have, like, about a five-minute check-in. They're supposed to do homework. They're supposed to practice these skills every day for five minutes. Okay. So do we do a quick check-in? You know, how did the week go? Um, how was the session? We actually have a homework sheet they fill out. We review it. That kind of helps keep them accountable. They also fill out what's called the ECB, which was developed by Sheila Eiberg, and um, it's on behaviors and the intensity of the behaviors and if it's a problem for the parent, and I'm happy to show that to you today, um, but they fill that out every session while they're in the waiting room. So once they get here, they fill that out. Um, I set up the room and then bring them back. If It's really great if two caregivers can participate, so if there are two caregivers, then one parent will be in here with the child and then the other parent will come with me and can kind of learn by observing. Mm -hmm. And then they kind of switch halfway through the session. Um, so like I said, I observe for about five minutes, the first five minutes, and actually code them on the skills um, that they're using. And then use that plus that ECB form as a basis for how I'm going to be coaching the session. Okay. So what I'm going to be focusing on. Um, and then, oh, I guess, you know, I, I take that back. I guess I do spend time, in essence, with just the parent because we do have a teaching session. So after we begin, after the intake, we have a teaching session where I teach the parent what we're going to be doing in the first phase. Okay. And then in the second phase, we have to have another teaching session. And so that way I can just, you know, not have kind of that distraction of the young child, but be able to role play. Sure. Um, this treatment is developed for like two up to like eight. So they're definitely young kiddos that are doing this. Okay. When you said making sure that the family's appropriate, mm -hmm. who is appropriate for this type of treatment? Um, so, for example, you know, I, we, I don't work a lot here with foster parents. You know, we, we get some of those referrals, not a lot. Um, but I did do that work in California. And so what we would want to happen out there is that at least within like two weeks, they're going to be reunited with their parents or they're having like regular, regular contact. Okay. Um, so otherwise it's going to, if they're only seeing them, let's say once a week, it's going to be hard for them to even practice these skills. Mm -hmm. So um, it is better if it's closer to when they're going to be reunited or when the child's returning home. Um, just so they can practice with them every day. Um, really, any any primary caregiver that is willing to be involved is welcome. Um, I've done this with grandparents. Um, 
aunts, uncles. I have a family right now where every single week, the mother, the father, and the maternal grandmother that live in the home, they all three come consistently. Wow. Um, and grandma plays a really big role in parenting because both parents work, and so it's really important that she's involved. Um, I've done this with split families, <laughs> so parents will meet here. Um, as long as you know they can, they can get along. Then um, again, we'll just divide up the session. Sometimes it's not appropriate in those cases for the other parent to observe, which is fine. So they'll just wait in the waiting room, mm. and then we'll switch. Okay. Um, so for the split family, sometimes they can't practice every day. They'll practice the three days that they have the child, and we just kind of work around that. Do you ever have um, like one parent come in um, one week and then another the other week, or do you prefer that that the whole the whole parenting group yeah per se um i would be it probably depends on what their arrangement is that they have i'd be willing to do that so some some custody situations it's one week then one week so i would i would be willing to to do that and give that a try and sometimes there's too much if there's too much tension then it's not really going to be effective um for anybody um you know one of the things the research shows us on pcit and why i see that it i like it so much is that since I'm working with the caregivers, whether that is, you know, an adoptive parent, foster parent, you know, the primary guardian, um, they're learning the skill, and so it's generalizing to the other siblings. So I typically, mm-hmm. even if the other siblings are over the age of eight, we talk about how they can have some special time and what that might look like, yeah. um, just so the parent is making sure they're spending some one-on-one time with all the kids in the home. You know, I'm, I'm still involved in the community mental health setting, and what what is always said is, well, the parent just did X, Y, and or Z, there there wouldn't be as as much of an issue with the child um, that there that there is. And from what you've said, it sounds like most of the work is done with coaching the parent on how to interact in a more uh, meaningful and healthy way. Is there any other work done with just the child alone on how um, they're interacting with the parent or any kind of recognition on on the, I guess, issues that they're bringing to the table? Mm. Does that make sense? Right. So I try to coach the parent Mm -hmm. on how they're interacting with the child. Okay. So um, that's why I feel this is a, definitely a little different than a traditional play therapy yeah. <laughs> because it is less about me and it's more about the parent. So I want to empower the parent. Um, but I do do modeling. So this is a very um, parallel you know, um, process. So my coaching is I um, give feedback to the parent the same way that I want the parent to be giving feedback to the child. Mm -hmm. So I catch the parent's good behavior and I catch the parent doing the skills that I'm trying to teach and that's what I'm trying to get, you know, the parent to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I ignore, you know, like for example, um, the parent is not supposed to ask questions in their their special playtime. And so when in the very beginning, especially, I mean, I might correct them as we progress or we go to the second phase, but in the first phase, I just, it's, I just ignore it. Just mm-hmm. like I want the parent to ignore minor misbehaviors, right. but focus on the positive behavior. So it's a very kind of parallel. Now I do model for the parents, same thing. I try to do it from the waiting room to here. Um, I try to catch the you know, the child having good behaviors, and I model praising that. Mm-hmm. I reflect what the child's saying. I give them some nice behavioral descriptions. So I really, like, 
model those skills that I'm teaching to the parent. Um, now, in this in the second phase, it's you know it really shifts a lot because now we're putting commands on the child mm -hmm. and the child's having to listen. So I really coach the parent and kind of how to navigate through that. Gotcha. Um, now, how I do sort of teach the child, I like to use, you don't have to use, um, there's like the Mr. Bear technique, and you don't have to use Mr. Bear. I love using Mr. Bear. So when we get to the second phase, the child comes in and they meet my friend Mr. Bear. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Bear is this big bear, and he is learning how to be a good listener. Mm -hmm. And so I show the child, we actually act it out, and I show the child what happens when Mr. Bear listens and what happens when Mr. Bear doesn't listen. Because when Mr. Bear doesn't listen, he has to go to timeout. So it's a really nice, like, non-threatening way mm -hmm. of teaching the mm -hmm. child what happens in here when we listen and what happens when we don't. Mm -hmm. um, and then Mr. Bear goes away and the parent gets to practice those skills with the child. Mm -hmm. So... Um, we do talk about like household rules and we set up household rules and expectations. Um, and of course, you know, when parents have some specific questions, sometimes we go a little bit outside of PCIT of, you know, maybe they want to incorporate like a token economy system mm -hmm. or something like that. And so I kind of problem solve and work on that with them. Gotcha. Cool. You were talking about the training that goes into PCIT mm -hmm. for the clinician. What does that look like? How long does that take? Where do you find training? Mm -hmm. So it's um, it's pretty. It's I, I feel it's somewhat extensive, which is a good thing. Um, so you'd want to go to PCIT International. They've really um, tried to um, um, kind of make this standard um, across the United States. Um, what that training looks like. So there are master trainers out there, and so you can contract, contact and get a contract <laughs> with a master's trainer, and they essentially, for a certain amount of money, would come to your um, agency and help you to kind of set everything up. Um, they would come and do live supervision. You could send them tapes, um, and they would train you on the like the whole model. So. There's different level of trainers, like there's uh, level one and then level two and then master trainers. Um, so if you're a level one trainer, then that means that you're a trainer for your agency. So mm -hmm. you can, um, so that's something I'm working on right now is being a trainer at Carillion. Okay. Um, and then that way anyone that works for Carillion, I'll be able to train. To be able to train outside of your agency, then you have to become a level two trainer. And there's a certain amount of commitment to that. Um, so you have to do so many hours of just learning the specifics of like what PCIT is and how to implement it. And then you have to get two cases through um, in order to be, and you know, there's some other specifics. I'm kind of making it simplistic because mm -hmm. <laughs> um, there's definitely like a, a long, a checklist. Um, but essentially, um, those are like the biggest thing is, and, and you can get through your cases and, and do that kind of that training, you know, just by working side by side with someone, there's kind of different models or different ways that you could do that. Um, when I, when we did our training in California, it was amazing. We had like a PCIT day. It was like all day Thursday and every other week <clears throat> we had our trainer from UC Davis come down 
and we all sat in the observation room. Um, we all had a, a case that we had our own two cases and then two cases we were co-therapists on, so if the other therapist couldn't be there, we could jump in. Um, she was able to review all of our tapes and we had to get all of our cases through to graduation. Um, so that was a great learning experience, um, but then there's also kind of that practicality. Um, but even like right now, as I'm going through my training, we do uh, a link through the internet and they are, um, Dr. Abner is able to observe me coaching a therapist who is then coaching the parents mm. to kind of get through um, a case together. Um, so that he can um, just kind of see that I guess I can train, you know. Um, and then she'll be signed off as another clinician. Um, okay. There are places that, you know, you can get grant money for these type of things. Um, there was a lot of grant money that went to the Carolinas, North Carolina and South Carolina. They called it PCIT of the Carolinas, and they actually tra they had, a, they had um, so much money that they were able to train clinicians for free. So it would be really amazing to do something like that in Virginia because um, not too many places around here are doing PCIT. <laughs> yes. Yeah, um, I think the closest place is, I mean, we have University of West Virginia. Um, there's a master trainer there um, and Cheryl McNeil. And then we have J.P. Abner, Dr. Abner in um, Milligan, uh, Tennessee. So that would be another option. And then they're down at King's Daughters, they're doing some research down there in PCIT. Okay. Are you the only one doing PCIT in, I guess, what radius? Or are there, are there other PCIT? Um, Those are the closest places that I'm aware of that have a PCIT lab. Um, gotcha. And since I was trained through California, um, that's what I'm working on too right now is just making sure everything is signed off and so that I can be on the PCIT International website as like a certified PCIT clinician. Okay. How do, um, I guess, parents and clients uh, get referred to you? We get a lot of referrals from the pediatricians okay. in town um, and the child development clinic. Okay. Um, of course, word of mouth because some parents go through it and they find it to be helpful and they let their friends know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and so the biggest thing is um, is really that families are willing to make that commitment, you mm -hmm. know. And if, if families also have been exposed to therapy and they're used to play therapy, it's a really different model. So being used to the idea that they're not going to be sitting in the waiting room for the yeah. whole session or half the session mm -hmm. while their child is back in the office, mm -hmm. that they're going to be actively involved. Yeah. So the parent has to be willing to do that. They also have to be um, stable enough to do that, mm -hmm. you know. So, um, you know, sometimes we've had to put off, you know, treatment if... Um, you know, their substance abuse or the parent has some mental health illness so that they need to deal mm -hmm. with um, or they've lost their job and they're just, they're not able to kind of focus. Right, right. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. It's a shame that more places aren't doing, aren't doing this. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. You know, when we... Frustrating. Gabriel and I both worked in the same community mental health agency for a little while and that particular agency um, started a program that tried to target helping families, like more intensely helping families and putting parents in charge and kind of 
what we used to say, fixing the main problem. It was mm -hmm. all very problem focused, but fixing the problem instead of removing the child and working with the child and then putting the child back in the same environment. This sounds very similar to that. It's that you're, you're trying to put this parent back in control and change the parenting style in order to really, in effect, change the behaviors of this child and others in the home. Right, right. Yeah. Um, well, in my theory, especially if there's behavioral problems, and a lot, a lot of times there's other factors, you know, feeding into it that you, you have to look at. But if, if a child can come here in my office and listen to me, that's really great, mm -hmm. but it's not really helping that parent. Right. It's not generalizing at all. So, and a lot of times you'll hear that from parents. You know, they're doing great at school, but I'm having a hard time at home. Um, now, sometimes that's not the case. They're having a hard time in both settings. But um, it's nice to be empowering the parents and that they can do this um, yeah. versus that, you know, the professional has to do that. Mm -hmm. Um now, it does help. I mean, I have found it helpful in terms of, like, the household rules, and we talk about that, like, what's mm -hmm. expected, and, you know, you know, them hearing me say, well, this behavior is not appropriate, and so these, you know, this would be more appropriate. Um, sometimes it's helpful for the parent to have that support, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. a yeah. professional saying that, um, but I like that we're at least aligned together, and it's not so much, you know, me doing it. And for young kids... I mean, they're they're at home a lot, and the parents with them a lot. Typically, some of the parents are stay-at-home parents, and so they really need these tools. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm hoping that in the Roanoke Valley, that this is something that can grow. Again, I think the biggest hurdle is organizations being able to have kind of a setup. Yeah. Um, but I think that I think that you can be creative with it. You know. Um, it might not be ideal. I mean, it took, we moved into this building in May, so it took roughly um, seven years. Of you being there? Of me being at Carillion oh. to have this set up. Wow. Um, you know, the last PCIT room I had, it was not ideal. It was, an, it was okay, and we could do treatment, um, but it definitely wasn't, you know, I didn't have the one-way mirror. I just had the video camera. Um you know, the room, I had to use a headphone so I could hear them, but other people couldn't because the room wasn't completely isolated, and we had, like, a shower curtain that went up around the TV monitor, or, you know, like a, mm -hmm. a drape kind of thing. I guess not a shower curtain, but, like, a <laughs> drape um, felt like a shower curtain, but, like, a drape that went around so that no one could see, you know, so everything was, like, HIPAA compliant, but it definitely wasn't ideal, and it wasn't ideal to have, like, the other parent in there observing, mm -hmm. Um, but it worked, and you were able to do worked. treatment. Yeah, it worked. And like I said, even when I started here, I was coaching in the room. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, and um, I, I go to these conferences every year for for PCIT, and I like to see all the research that's going on. And there's um, lots of grants out there going on since it's an evidence based treatment. And you know, a lot of people are going in the home and they're using these skills. They don't have all the fancy equipment, but they're using the skills. Um, some places have gotten grants where they actually use computers and can use webcams and do it with families like remotely. Mm -hmm. um, there are some states that have RVs that are PCIT labs and they are like driving to people to homes 
and they're coming out of the home and doing their you oh, know, cool. CIT treatment. Yes. So, awesome. I mean, there's lots of like creativity. You don't have to be completely stuck in the box. <laughs> you just have to be willing to say, okay, well, it might not be perfect at first, but I can learn the so skills, start started. working with families, and then maybe this is our goal, you know? Profession is so, it's, that's also very unattainable, but the question should be, will it work? And will the RV set up, or will the shower curtain set up? Will it be effective? And if the answer is if the answer is yes, then why aren't you doing it, or why aren't we trying to, to do that? Um, but I think those are those are all really cool ideas, and, yeah. and it is a shame because yeah. I can think of the vast majority of the clients that I've seen in the community working in community mental health. This being um, exactly what what was needed, um, and uh, I think simply. I was talking about it and I was putting on this podcast. If our, our listeners are in the community setting, um, hopefully it gives them some ideas and at least a place to look um, and see how things are doing and, and maybe bring it to their supervisors and say, how can we how can we make this work? Yeah, we'll um, post the link for PCNT yeah, International on the show notes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's okay. And I, you know, I think the big point too is this works for all demographics, you know, so... Um, you can, you know, I've I've worked with using this with families who where their children have been removed from the home because they have used, you know, aggression and to manage their child's behavior. Um, so I've worked with kind of that population where it's maybe things are a little bit more challenging, but then I've also used it with population where things aren't that severe, but it's still helpful. Like the skills are still helpful. Things don't have to be really extreme. Yeah. Um, these skills can be helpful for, you know, just kind of having some, I don't want to say minor problems, but challenges that might not be as intense as like having your children removed from your home. No. You know, I'm just going to ask, like, I know that, the, I won't speak for, for Heather, but I know for myself, like, I'm always looking to be, like, 1% better at, at anything that I'm doing, and I'm, and I was going to ask you after we ended, but it came up, so I'll ask you right now, what percentage of parents, because I can see my wife and I, when we do have kids, us saying, let's go in for a spot check, because I don't, and that really would almost be, like, what it would be is a spot check of how we're doing, and I know I do that, um, uh, our listeners know that I lift, I, I go to a coach in North Carolina, what does this look like? This is how I'm doing it. What do you think? It looks fine. It doesn't tweak this. Cool. I'll see you in a month, three months, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have like a percentage of parents that are just coming in to say, we just want to make sure we're doing everything as best we can? Oh, absolutely. Yeah? That's yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Definitely, I would say some of my higher functioning families, uh-huh. they like sure. to come in, um, you know, maybe once a month or mm-hmm. once every two months just to kind of do a check-in and it helps to keep them accountable. That's awesome. Um, and I actually give that exact analogy to them. I feel like sometimes I'm like a personal trainer yeah, that's I mean, like that's exactly helping them like come up with a plan and yeah. then just checking in, mm-hmm. you know, how things, you know, how things are going. Um, but, you know, I was trained in this when my daughter was just about two. Mm-hmm. And so I would go home and I would practice with mm-hmm. her. And I definitely use these skills with my kids. And, um, yes, they can be challenging, of, you know, and, and using these skills has really helped. And it's helped us through times of transition, like really yeah. making sure that I'm sitting down and spending some one-on-one time with them. And um, so, like I said, it doesn't have to be anything even really big and major. I think... Some of the stuff is intuitive. Some of it, some of the skills aren't. Um, but you know, 
kids aren't born with a manual. And so it's kind of nice if we can give them some tools or strategies that works or just a reminder, right? Like even reviewing with families or people about communication skills, like we all kind of know what we should or shouldn't be doing, but we sometimes forget. (laughs) So even having those reminders is helpful. That's awesome. Cool. Any other questions? No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just quickly, any other resources that you think would be helpful for clinicians um, or any more information that you think might be helpful for them to know about PCIT? Well, they should look into it. I would Mm -hmm. love to have more people trained. Um, There's, you know, like I said, there's different training models out there for the places that offer it. Um, So you certainly can travel someplace and be trained and then have that consultation. Um, Or you can look at having someone that's not too far away, um, you know, come to your agency and to help train. Um, I think if you're at an agency, one of the first steps I think would be is trying to identify a grant. So Mm -hmm. you're not kind of worried about the funding. Um, and I, I, I do feel that this is a type of intervention that it's, um, rel- if you can find a grant out there, it's relatively easy to get it since it's evidence-based. So you have, yeah. you have support for it. Um, so I would like it to grow here because I have a very long waiting list <laughs> <laughs> and it's hard to get to all of them. So I'm trying to do, you know, like I'm training another therapist right now and then once she's up and going and then. Um, you know, maybe see, uh, we're going to hopefully uh, hire, you know, another clinician at some point. We can train them and just try to get this to grow. You know, we talk about growing. I finally have a nice setup. Our plan is to actually have more than just one PCIT room eventually. Wow. So Fantastic. Thank you for You're being welcome. with us today and doing this interview and sharing this information. Well, I just hope it was helpful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me close out. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, we got. We hope you guys uh, enjoy this. If you guys need any of the resources, the links to anything that um, Tara suggested, uh, those will be in the show notes. Um, thank you guys for listening. We'll talk to you guys again next week. Join the conversation every week after the episode over at informedconsentpodcast.com. This is also where you'll find archived episodes and show notes to each episode. Plus our recommended reading list for clinicians wanting to take their education to a new level. Go there and click join the conversation now. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.